Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mama Wears Athleisure. I am your host, Mariella de Santiago, a first-time mom. We focus on all things mom with tips to help make life easier and more organized for all you mamas out there. Hi, everyone. Today, we are with Alex from PBJ. Hi, Hi. thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. So tell us a little bit about PBJ, Plant-Based Juniors. Plant-Based Juniors is something that myself and my partner, Whitney English, and I started really when we were both pregnant with our sons. Uh, Whitney and I are both dietitians, and we had worked in pediatrics uh, a little bit before getting into to PBJs, but I remember being pregnant with my son, and I was reading all of these books, I really wanted to do baby led weaning. I had heard about baby led weaning. That really wasn't something I was doing in my clinical practice. It was sort of like new. And I was reading all of these baby led weaning books and every single one of them said, you have to serve your baby meat. You need to make sure their baby eats meat. And I was like, I've been a vegetarian for a very long time. I really don't want to introduce meat to my, my baby. And I don't feel like I have to, but I really wasn't that well-versed in all of the research around iron and baby led weaning needs and complimentary foods. So uh, Whitney, a dietitian friend, she was in the same place. We were like texting back and forth and we both were like, oh my gosh, we have, you know, these master's degrees in nutrition and we're still feeling like the research around infant feeding is so heavily meat focused, beef focused, iron focused specifically. We don't necessarily want to do that with our babies. Is this safe? Is this effective? And so we, we dug into the research and decided, okay, if we're having all these questions and trying to sort of sort things out, we know other like-minded parents probably are too. And that's really the story behind why plant-based juniors came to be her and I had, you know, different businesses. We're doing different things at the time. And then we just sort of said, we need to share some of this information because even still a lot of the nutrition information out there that is geared towards early infancy, toddlerhood is very meat dairy focused. And we knew that other parents, you know, wanted to do things maybe a little bit different, but also of course, wanted to make sure that safety was top of mind as well. And so we tried to to bridge that gap with plant-based juniors. So I used your book to help guide me with what I was going to be feeding my baby because both my husband and I are plant-based. Mm-hmm. I was vegan throughout my entire pregnancy. I had a very healthy pregnancy mm-hmm. and I was kind of nervous that if I wasn't able to breastfeed, was I going to have to give him formula that had an animal product in it. Luckily, I've been very fortunate in that. And so now I'm looking more into we're we're doing the whole solids Mm -hmm. and making sure he's getting his nutrients still predominantly from breast milk. But everything that I've been reading, everything is still very much meat, dairy, animal focused. Yes. And listen, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Iron is important. Iron is a critical nutrient, especially in, in later infancy. We need to make sure that we're getting it through complementary foods. I, I think though, that this idea that it only has to come from beef liver suddenly is this like popular thing around infant feeding, which is crazy for so many reasons. You know, this idea that babies have to be like eating steak. I mean, first of all, that's really elitist. I mean, it's a very expensive food to assume that parents can feed their babies 
baby every single day. And also just environmentally, it's a mess, not to mention animal welfare concerns. So we we don't want to dismiss the idea that iron is really important, but also to assure parents, regardless of sort of how they identify on their dietary pattern, you do not have to feed your baby meat and you don't have to feed your baby meat every single day, even if you do decide to feed your baby meat occasionally. You know, you can definitely get enough iron through plant foods and through fortified iron foods. Well, it's interesting that you say iron because for me, my biggest concern was B12. Now, mm. As a vegan, we have to take a B12 vitamin. I had asked my pediatrician, I always do my research as best as I can. And then I come up with this massive list. I'm sure my pediatrician is like, oh my goodness. She has a book longer. (laughs) And so my question was, what about a B12 vitamin? Like, how do I ensure that he's getting his nutrients once we are only doing solids, which is is still a ways away, but I still want to start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. B12 is also, you know, really important for us. We sort of say that really until baby is weaned and that can be 12 months, two years, really whenever the feed starts to drip down. Yeah, I would say two to three feeds a day is what I sort of consider weaned enough where breast milk is not going to be the primary source or even the predominant source of nutrition. Uh, In that case, that's when you want to supplement baby on their own. But as long as mom is taking enough in pregnancy and through breastfeeding, then that's going to pass through to her fetus and also to the breast milk. The one thing I will say on that though, is that the RDA of what B12 is for pregnancy and lactation is a lot less than what you need to take in a supplement. So the RDA is 2.6 micrograms for breastfeeding and for lactation. But if you were only to take that amount because of the way that B12 is absorbed, it's a really funky nutrient compared to a lot of other water-soluble nutrients. You need something called intrinsic factor in order to properly absorb B12. And once intrinsic factor is saturated, you're only absorbing the rest of B12 through passive diffusion. All that means is if you're taking, let's say, 2.6 micrograms in your prenatal, you're not absorbing all of that 2.6 micrograms. And so if you're taking B12, in a single dose supplement, you really need to get a much higher level. The reason the RDA is set at only 2.6 is because they're assuming that you're getting B12 throughout the day, as most people do through animal products, because B12 is only reliably found in animal foods and, and fortified foods. If you're only getting small amounts throughout the day, that whole saturation thing doesn't matter because you're able to absorb small amounts through each meal. But if you're only getting it in a single dose, as most plant-based vegan women are in a prenatal or a supplement, you need to ensure you're taking a much higher amount. We feel pretty safe and comfortable with recommending 150 micrograms per day during pregnancy. Some people feel safe recommending 25 micrograms. Really, as long as you're getting enough B12, I would say at least 25 micrograms a day on top of your prenatal, you're going to to have enough. And then once baby is weaned, you want to give them their own B12 as well. That can be done through fortified foods, but we do feel safer recommending a supplement because if anyone has ever fed a toddler, the way that they intake food, their preferences, the amount they eat, it changes day by day. And if we're only relying on a fortified source, then some days they might not get enough. B12 is so critical for neurological development. The safest option is to supplement and just to sort of be safer than some and ensure that you're getting enough B12. Yeah, those are all really good points. That's kind of how I definitely see it. We always take our Mm -hmm. vitamins. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think, I think sometimes people think like vitamin is this like, oh, well, if you have to supplement your diet, it must be deficient. And I think the reality is every diet is supplemented in one way or the other, whether we think about it or not, if we're going to look into public health programs and fortification. I mean, we have made huge strides in iodine deficiency reduction through iodized salt programs, incidence of spina bifida or neural tube defects through the folic acid supplementation program or fortification program that's been in, in place for about 25 years now. I mean, there are huge benefits to consuming fortified foods from sort of a general public point of view. And so to look at the diet and say, okay, this diet provides a lot of essential nutrients. It is missing B12. We don't have to pretend that isn't the case. It's just sort of a safe idea to supplement. And there's so many other benefits in eating plant-based or predominantly plant-based. I think this idea that you have to supplement to ensure the diet is healthy is just really a, a silly straw man argument. You did make a really good point about the fact with kids being picky eaters. I'm fortunate right now that my baby will eat whatever we have. I just tend to give it to him and he likes food. He went from not liking any food to now he tries to take it out of my hand. There's like this honeymoon period that usually every parent goes through. I would say until about 18 months and it varies obviously from baby to baby where you're like, oh my gosh, look at this. I'm doing it right. My baby loves everything. And then about two years old, you're like, oh, okay. Yep. There's that selective eating. And you know, we just try to normalize it for parents to say picky eating is developmentally normal too. No matter what you do and how great of a a child eater they are earlier, it's totally normal and totally okay if they enter a picky eating phase. That's good to know. I'm nervous for that. If and when any of our kids decide that they no longer want to eat any of these things, what are some vitamins to consider supplementing? The nutrient that I would say for all children, and that's especially if they're exclusively breastfed from infancy on, is vitamin D. Sunlight really isn't the best, most reliable source of, of vitamin D. And the reason is because, especially for babies, we don't put them outside in direct sunlight. Typically, if your child is outside, they maybe have sunscreen on, you know, there are all these sort of factors where we live skin pigmentation, angle of the sun, there are so many factors that are needed in order to properly absorb vitamin D that in that case, the safest option is just to supplement with vitamin D, we would recommend just continuing that again, you could use fortified foods, uh, a fortified non dairy milk or other types of vitamin D fortified foods. But again, you really want to ensure you're getting enough that's sort of the tricky thing about fortified foods. I don't recommend routinely supplementing iron unless there is a known need. Too much iron can also be harmful. So for parents, I say a multivitamin with iron is sort of a really easy, less stressor for the parent. And then the other two to consider is one is iodine. Iodine is, is mostly found naturally in seafood, also found in dairy because of the way that we sterilize udders and sterilize dairy equipment with iodized solution. It gets into the milk that way. So if you're not consuming dairy, if you're not consuming seafood on a regular basis, then you're going to have a, a higher likelihood there's going to be some type of iodine deficiency. And iodine is really strongly linked to IQ. So we want to ensure that we are getting enough. You can use iodized salt. That's what I use in my home now that my kids are older. But when they were younger and I was really cautious about adding an added salt, we don't want to use iodized salt as sort of the only option because in order to get enough iodine, you have to use quite a bit of salt. As long as mom is breastfeeding and taking enough iodine, that's going to pass on to her baby. But once baby is weaned, you can do iodine drops. We recommend half of the RDA, so about 70 uh, micrograms. And, and the reason for that is because iodine is sort of this like Goldilocks nutrient. We don't want too little, but we also really don't want too much. Half of the RDA in a drop is an easy way to meet needs.
needs. Uh, you can also use a multivitamin. DHA, we feel strongly that the research shows there is a benefit in consuming DHA until about age two. And that's both for retinal development, cognition. That's the reason that DHA is recommended during pregnancy. After that, the research really doesn't show there is much of a benefit. So we sort of say, if you want to continue to supplement DHA after age two, great. It tends to be the most expensive supplement out there. And so it really comes down to whether or not you you want to do it. That was a lot. I know. The crib notes version of this is make sure mom is taking enough B12 and iodine and DHA. Once baby is weaned, ensure there is iodine in the diet. You're probably already going to continue vitamin D and then make sure there's enough B12. If you want to take DHA, great. We do have free supplement guides on our website. They're really in depth. They kind of go through and say, you know, if this is the diet that you're on, these are the supplements we'd recommend. These are the supplements to consider. So it's really hopefully helpful to, to normalize all of that supplements are not something to be feared. And they're not something to say, oh, it's too complicated. I don't want to deal with it because we have seen deficiencies when parents are not supplementing. And especially when it comes to the most vulnerable population, which is infants and kids, we want to ensure that we're getting the the nutrition needs that they need. Well, I like that in your book, you also list foods that do provide some of those Mm -hmm. nutrients, which is so helpful for kind of creating that balanced plate once you start baby on solids. They're not getting their nutrient, all of their nutrients from solids because they should predominantly be either breastfeeding or getting Mm -hmm. formula for the first couple of years. That's right. I would have a very similar conversation with an omnivore parent, just sort of the way that we need certain nutrients and the fact that they're just not consumed. I mean, even omnivorous child, if we look at the data, they're not consuming a lot of fatty fish. You know, they probably need to consider iodine if they're not getting a lot of dairy or, you know, DHA. So this isn't necessarily just a plant-based kids only conversation. There's just a lot of things nutrition wise to consider. If anyone is is new to plant-based juniors, you know, hopefully the one thing that comes through is that we want to be as inclusive as a community as possible. We really strongly believe that if we look at sort of what the health parameters are, when we look at research in childhood nutrition and the recommendations and where kids are currently at, there's a huge gap. And so we know that if we can help to encourage sort of more plants on the plate for all eaters, that is a huge win. There are ethical reasons for consuming a plant exclusive or a vegan diet. But I also really want to stress the idea that it doesn't have to be perfect. And there are so many health benefits in getting more plants on the plate and really trying to meet parents where they're at and what feels best for them, you know, because there are so many factors that go into eating and to dietary choices and to culture and to expenses. I mean, especially right now with food prices the way they are, we're hearing from a lot of our clients and our readers about ways they're changing their diet. And I just want to assure everyone that there are so many benefits in eating a plant-rich, plant-predominant diet. Yes, there are things to consider on sort of the the plant-exclusive spectrum, but for all of us, we really strongly believe that doing what's best for you and your family is is going to be the best choice. What are some essentials to consider when having this plate for a baby or a toddler? Like what kind of things should you have on it to create more of that balanced meal? So we offer a a free resource called our PB3 plate. It's sort of our take on like the my plate or the, the feeding plates that are out there. And most plates are broken into like a half fruits and vegetables, half protein, half grains and starches. We switch ours up a little bit into sort of being a third, third, third in in similar categories. And the reason we do that is because fruits and vegetables are amazing, but they also tend to be a little bit lower in calories. And we want to ensure that our babes are getting enough calories for growth. And so if we're filling the plate with, let's say, half fruit and the child is eating a lot of fruit or a lot 
lot of vegetables and not consuming as much of those other calorie dense foods, then they may not be getting enough that they need. So we think that a third uh, of those categories is probably a safer bet for most kids. We also really like to lean heavily into this category that we call legumes, nuts, and seeds. So these are things like beans, like lentils, nuts, nut butters, seeds, tofu, tempeh, seitan, all of those can sort of fit in this category. The term protein tends to be sort of the other plate category on a lot of these items, but we feel like because plant foods are such beautiful combinations of all of these macronutrients, just makes sense to sort of say exactly what types of foods we want to see more on. And there's so many benefits needing these foods. Yes, they're rich in in plant-based protein, like I just said, but they also contain fiber, they contain antioxidants, they contain zinc, they contain iron, they contain calcium, you know, sort of these nutrients that are really important for, for growth and development. And then the last category that we like to see on the plate is grains and starches. We don't think there is any need to fear whole grains, starchy vegetables, starchy fruit. You know, we're talking about antioxidants, we're talking about calories, we're talking about carbohydrate, and they're another good source of protein. I think a lot of people don't understand or or don't know that whole grains can be really good sources of protein. A cup of pasta is seven, eight grams of protein. And that's just regular pasta. It doesn't have to be whole wheat pasta or legume-based pasta. Whole grains also provide a really great base for a lot of nutrients. And they also can be really good sources of iron and zinc. And you made a really good point about that protein. I feel like a lot of people tend to focus so much on like, you need protein if Mm -hmm. you say that you're plant-based, but there's kind of this misconception or lack of awareness that protein isn't everything. That's right. Pasta has tons of protein. Mm -hmm. Oatmeal has pasta. Bread has, I think that's why we try to sort of call the foods what they are. You know, we talked to to so many parents over the years who say things like, oh my gosh, my child doesn't like meat. How are they going to get their protein? And I think, you know, as a society, we're so conditioned to associate protein with animal foods. But yes, like you said, the reality is protein is in all these kinds of foods. And really protein is not a concern for developed nations. I'm not dismissing the idea that protein isn't important. It absolutely is. We need to ensure that our kids are getting enough of it. But for the average child who is eating a wide variety of foods, it's really not an issue. Even when we look at vegan children and we do survey studies on what they're eating, they're getting about two times the RDA. You know, the average toddler needs about 13 to 15 grams of protein a day. And that's easily met in a cup of pasta and a cup of soy milk. That's the whole day. You know, this idea that protein needs aren't being met, it's just not what we see when we look at the research. It isn't everything. I mean, we add hemp seeds or chia seeds just mm-hmm. to kind of get that additional protein and everything. You can't even taste them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We, we and, and like smoothies are great. I and mean, we do a lot of hemp seeds, a lot of chia seeds and like my, my kids' oatmeal bowls, they'll eat chia pudding. They love our PBJ balls. I mean, it's really easy to meet protein needs. So that's definitely not a nutrient I would say needs to be a concern. The one thing I will say though, is that we tend to see and we work with our more like parents who are really into like a whole food plant-based diet is that they tend to be scared of fat. And we really want myth bust this idea that babies and kids need fat. So we, we do not want to fear fat. We want to ensure that our kids are getting enough fat in their diet. They need about 35 to 40% of calories from fat. And so if you're not considering where the fat is in the food, they can be deficient. There's no need to fear fat. Breast milk is a very rich source of fat. So is formula. We need it. It's designed this way for a reason. And so making sure that you're offering enough fat foods. Any tips, suggestions, or recommendations for anyone that's either considering starting plant-based with their babies or that is already planning to go that route? The one thing I like to point out a lot when I'm talking to people who are uh, what I call like plant curious is this idea that you probably eat a lot of plant-based foods without ever 
calling it that. I think sometimes we get so caught up in these labels. You probably actually eat a lot of plant-exclusive foods, well, especially your kids, because those are the foods kids tend to gravitate towards the most. Even in children who are omnivorous, meat doesn't tend to be a favorite food. It's hard to eat. It can taste metallic. This is a common complaint from parents all the time. Really lean into the idea that there are so many foods you already naturally love. Beans, pasta, PBJ sandwiches, tofu stir fry, uh, fruits, vegetables, you know, I mean, there's, there's just so many foods out there. And so what I like to say is if you're trying to lean into this or eat more like this, choose three meals that your family already loves, already accepts, and have that on the menu often. And then maybe once a week, especially if you've got a little bit of older kids, make it fun. Try a new recipe together. Bring your kids to the grocery store to try some of these foods out. They don't have to be this other and it doesn't have to be scary. You know, there's a lot of fun that can happen with your kids together to say, hey, I picked up this block of tofu. Should we open it? Should we try it? Should we taste it? You know, I found this recipe online for, you know, plant-based juniors chocolate pudding. Do you want to make this into pudding or should we make this into a tofu marinara stick? There's really fun ways, I think, to involve kids and make kids really buy into some of these foods, especially if they're foreign. So I say tofu because that tends to be a food that you either love or you're like, I've never cooked with that in my life. I like all of those tips. Before my son started grabbing things, I would put him in my carrier and narrate Mm -hmm. to him whenever I was cooking. I keep telling myself, maybe he'll be my personal chef by the age of 10. Kids are curious, you know, they they like to know, they like to see. And I think that really leaning into that curiosity is is helpful. So kids can be like, oh yeah, I know sweet potatoes. Mom cooks those all the time. You know, what we're trying to do as much as possible is to normalize these foods. That's a huge sort of spin in reducing picky eating down the road is just sort of to normalize them and let kids get involved. And so the more that we can start that at an early age, there's just a lot of benefits in, in eating and bringing the kids into the kitchen. One last question. I just wanted to get your thoughts on seasoning. I think this is something Mm. that maybe parents tend to fear or not know. As long as it's not spicy, season that food. These are all considered new food. If your child is used to just, let's say, sweet potato strips as sort of like an easy first food, put some cinnamon on it. Put some curry powder on it as long as it's not spicy. You do not have to be afraid of flavor, of of seasonings, of spice. Um, And again, this is also a really great way to help to reduce picky eating. There's emerging research and it's, I don't want to say anything definitively because it's sort of a a new area, but there's this concept of what's called the window of opportunity. And that's really between about four to seven, nine months where so far it seems to be the case is that babies are the most interested and the most open to trying new flavors. If you're nervous that you're, you know, you're only giving bland food or not giving food with flavor, you don't need to add salt. You don't need to add sugar. We still don't recommend that, but there's really this sort of idea that if babies are introduced to new flavors during this window, they're likely to continue to accept them as they get older. And if they're introduced to only bland food, then it's going to be a lot harder of an ask to now have them accept all of these more robust uh, spices and herbs and flavorings down the road. Our takeaways today are get as many plants as possible. The more plants, the better. Don't be afraid to season. Iron is really more of the vitamin to make sure that you are getting, but other th- otherwise they should be getting all of that through their breast milk or their formula. That's right. And if you've got any questions on that, like I said before, we do have a free supplement guide to sort of make sure and and answer any questions that you may have. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for our next episode. You can find us on Instagram for more updates and tips. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review if you like us.